Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. America's going to its elections, midterm elections. Um, on Tuesday, that's the 6th of November, why are they midterm? Well, they're halfway between the presidential terms. And it's driving a lot of divisive politics in the United States, as you know. Uh, it's very important if the makeup of either the House or the Senate changes, uh, particularly if the House changes, it, it starts to open up questions like, would there be the possibility of getting up an impeachment motion against Donald Trump, pending, uh, depending on how these investigations pan out, you know? So we thought we should take a look at the American voting system because you're going to be your mind will be full of American elections in in um, most media over the next few days. It's different from the way it operates here, and so to help us look at that, we're joined by Dr. Sean Radcliffe. He's from the University of Sydney's uh, U.S. Studies Centre, where he's a, a lecturer. Uh, Dr. Radcliffe, welcome to Open House. Thanks for having me. It's a bit of a circus voting in the United States, isn't it? I mean, we we have our democracy sausages, but. Um, you know, from the land of the hanging Chad, getting getting to actually vote can be quite a chore. Yeah, in some parts of the country, certainly uh, there, there can be difficulties trying to turn out and uh, actually fulfil your democratic duty. So let's go through that for people who are not familiar with it. Firstly, you need to be a registered voter. That's correct. Uh, same as Australia, you have to be on the electoral roll, which requires you to be registered. Just uh, the difference is in Australia... Voting registration tends to be automatic, although that's not a perfect system. Hmm. In in most of the United States, uh, voter registration is not automatic and a voter has to make an effort to register and sometimes they have to periodically re-register if they fall off the, uh, the roll in some parts of the country. And your registration can be challenged when you go to vote. So if your name, if you casually misspell your name the way it's not written on your driver's license, or if you leave out your middle name when you register to vote, produce your driver's license at the booth and it's different, you can be challenged? Uh, it depends where you are. So in the United States, unlike Australia, national elections are run uh, under state law, not federal law. So uh, depending on the state you're in, there are different requirements for registration and for voting. So so some states have tried to bring in voter ID requiring you to present fo- certain types of photo ID uh, when you vote, but this isn't across the whole country. So many states require zero ID at all. You just have to have your name ticked off like you do in Australia. So it really depends on where you are. Is that something that political parties use, though, uh, sometimes to keep out voters who they think, or to prevent voters, who they think would not be voting for them. In the way scrutineers pretty much do that when we count ballots here in Australia, they say, oh, you can't really tell whether that's a one or a, you know, a one or a two, it's a bit of a scribble, so that's invalid. Uh, While we can't obviously know the uh, intentions of individuals when they do certain things, certainly there has been a happy coincidence that parties have often... Uh, tried to bring in voter ID when it looks like it will benefit them. So uh, most recently, the the main uh, proponents of voter ID laws and also laws that uh, do knock people off uh, voting rolls when there are inconsistencies in their registration uh, tend to be Republicans. And, and the, one of the reasons why it's been presumed this is done for electoral gain is that uh, the main people that tend to be affected by these are people that move around regularly. So if you if you change address, um, that means that the address that you're enrolled in and your current address won't match. And in some places that can disenfranchise you. Not all, but in, in certain states that can. And, and it's mostly the main people that move around regularly tend to be uh, poorer, younger, 
um, less advantaged individuals. And, and these groups tend to vote Democratic more often than they vote Republican. Our guest on Open House is Sean Ratcliffe. He is a lecturer in political science at the US Studies Centre, University of Sydney. Well, it's a bit of an obvious question, but let's, uh, let's ask her, what are they actually voting for on the 6th of November, Tuesday? Well, uh, Americans have the distinction as possibly being the people that get to vote on the most things uh, of any country in the world. Um, they have a, a complex system, some argue possibly too complex, and they vote for a, a huge variety of, of, um, of positions and sometimes issues as well. So the midterms don't involve a presidential election, so there's no the president isn't up for election this time around. Hmm. Hence the, the name midterm. Yep, the, <laughs> so the next presidential election is in 2020. But a third of all senators are up uh, for, for voting this time around, they're up for election, um, as well as the entire Federal House of Representatives, uh, which represent discrete districts right across the country. Uh, then we also have a number of state and local votes as well. So for positions like governor, um, state assemblies, which are like our state parliaments, and also uh, local government, so city, town, county. And, and a lot of the United States actually has two levels of uh, local government. So... There are actually four levels of government in, in much of the U.S. Uh, on top of all that, there are some um, ballot propositions that are going up in some places where voters get to vote directly on things like bond issues, which is normally local governments borrowing money for particular services or projects mm. like infrastructure. Uh, and also uh, sometimes they also vote directly on new laws. So, for instance, um, you know, making marijuana legal in some places, for instance, uh, um, for instance, and there's a number of those on the ballot this time around in, in different jurisdictions. So yes. depending on where you are in the US, you might um, only be voting for a couple of things or you might be voting for dozens. Yes, and you, and you get to vote for your dog catcher. In some parts of the country, yes. Uh, judges as well. Yes. Um, in some areas, the head of the local police, the sheriff or whatever their particular title might be uh, is up for election too. There's a, there's a huge variety of positions that... In Australia, appointed, not elected, uh, that, that are directly elected in the US. Which places everything up for grabs. All of the politics is up for grabs and you get some pretty um, outlying positions expressed <laughs> during the election campaign. So it's not just about who will control the Congress, but of course, there is so much riding on that. And for that reason, uh, have you seen an election that's been as divisive as this? Uh, it, it's pretty divisive. Now, trying to compare different elections mm. to levels of divisiveness is difficult. Yes, I suppose it's not really a competition, is it, anyway? This one <laughs> no, is very divisive, it, isn't it? It is very divisive. There's no doubt about it. And part of that is um, caused by the increasing polarisation between the two major parties in the United States, which, if we go back to the 1950s, looked a little bit more alike. There was, there was a bit more overlap in their, in their positions on different issues and, uh, and a bit more cross-party agreement in some areas. And, and now, though, there's a lot less of that. And it's harder to find issues that uh, candidates of the two major parties agree on. So then you, you throw in a, a character like Donald Trump, who, as you say, um, is quite divisive, whether it's deliberate or it's just uh, his personality. Um, you put him into this volatile political situation where the parties already struggle to find common ground. And uh, he, he does a lot to energise um, the political extremes on both ends of the spectrum. And he's, in recent times, been ramping up this um, 
well, what many have called racist agenda, uh, the the fear of invasion from the south, the caravan that's driving towards the US, which he's uh, characterised certainly exactly as an invasion, and he's doing this p- for political gain? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to know what his, um, his motives are. I don't like to attribute motives, but certainly... That is one interpretation that many people have made. Well, and, what other uh, interpretation would that be? <laughs> well, maybe he believes it. Um, well, that's and, worse. And yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 that, that's certainly a possibility. Um, so he, I don't know why he's doing it, but certainly um, it is reminiscent of other attempts, you know, to find a wedge issue and and promote a dog whistle um, to try and energize. Presumably Republicans that are concerned about immigration, um, and there are many of them, um, as the, the, the polling we did with YouGov uh, showed, uh, Republicans were much more likely to say immigration was an important issue than Democrats were, and they tend to uh, be a little bit more concerned about immigration and, and its effects on American society. So um, it, it makes sense from a political point of view, if, if you're right, that it, it is a political um, tactic it would. It makes sense in the U.S. context where voters don't have to vote. You've got to encourage them to turn out to the polls. Mm. So parties are always trying to find issues to energise their base and get them out. I guess there's Sean Ratcliffe. Dr. Ratcliffe is a lecturer in political science at the U.S. Studies Centre at the University of Sydney. Let's go to your uh, survey of issues. It's really interesting um, because while we get a very uh, concentrated version in this country of of the of what's happening in the states through the the most the hottest of issues of, as it were but the um it's interesting to see that uh, race relations immigration and so on um are only sort of equal in importance to taxation uh, the yep. cost of health care the economy is a very big concern uh, yep. more so to republicans than democrats interesting what else did you read into this poll yeah, well, uh, we, we always know that the economy is always a key issue for everyone, and that's the same as it is in Australia. Uh, <laughs> it's the economy are, stupid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People are always worried about, you know, whether they're, you know, they'll keep their job and whether they're, 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 they'll keep um, their income and be able to pay the mortgage and pay the rent and, and the other bills that we all have to pay um, from day to day. Uh, so so that's, that's always going to be an important one. And, and, and really, it's not, there's not a lot of disagreement between the parties um, about its importance, you know, three quarter, more than three quarters of Democrats believe it's it's a very important issue, and um, almost all Republicans do. Uh, so there's not too much disagreement there. But obviously, when it comes to um, ideas about what makes good economic policy, there's often some disagreement there. So yeah. so that's where tax, things like taxation come in, where uh, Republicans are more likely to say well, taxes should be lower, and Democrats aren't necessarily as, um, as as strongly agreeing on that particular issue. They'd rather see spending on things like healthcare and, and infrastructure, for instance, and education. Um, but yeah, it's always an important issue. But on other issues like healthcare, um, race relations and climate change, we see a bit, bit of a difference on, on even whether voters think they're a very important issue. So on all three of those, the Democrats are more likely to say they're, they're a very important issue with race relations and climate change in particular being issues that most Democrats agree are important, but Republicans are much less likely to say say it is. And on the case of climate change, what is it, uh, something like 10% of Republicans are concerned about that issue and uh, something like 80% of Democrats. (laughs) So for Republicans, it's not even on the radar. No, no, most Republicans don't think it's particularly important. Goodness me.
Well, what about voting intention then? Your poll is showing at the moment um, it's a very open contest. What? Uh, so it's, it's pretty close. Now, uh, I'll need to point out that um, we, we ran our survey at the start of October, so yeah. about a month before the election. So um, things can change. But, but our, our survey is pretty similar to most others that have been conducted in the US in recent months, which show the Democrats have a lead, but it's not entirely clear whether the lead will be big enough to ensure they win a majority in the House of Representatives. Is this... Um uh, proof that you, you know I've heard people say that uh, the Clintons really left the Democratic Party in a mess that that experiment just didn't work um, so how is the Democratic Party placed at the moment uh, for a midterm election I'd say they're actually doing pretty well so the Democrats normally have a disadvantage in midterms uh, the voters turn out at a lower rate in midterm elections than they do in presidential elections so your average presidential election, normally a little bit over half of all eligible voters vote. Uh, midterms, though, it's often uh, around or below 40%. So, so uh, the problem being for the Democrats that the voters that turn out the least and, and particularly drop off compared to presidential elections tend to be younger voters, minority voters, um, and those with uh, lower income. Uh, remember, voting in, in America is always on Tuesdays. Hmm. So, so if you've got to work, if you've got to go to school or college, um, it's a little bit harder to vote. And they tend to be groups that support the Democrats in greater numbers, whilst older, richer white voters are the most likely to vote, um, regardless of whether it's a midterm or a presidential election. And they tend to vote Democratic, uh, sorry, Republican. I mean, they vote Republican in higher numbers. So uh, midterm elections tend to be better for Republicans. Most elections... Republicans do a little bit better than they would uh, in a midterm in a, than in a presidential. Uh, but counteracting that a little bit, the president's party often doesn't do as well in a midterm. In so, midterm. Sean, what is the chance that for the rest of his term, uh, Trump will have a completely hostile Congress? That is to uh, say, a majority of, of a majority of uh, Democrats in both houses. So, the chances of uh, a democratic control of both houses, I'd say, is pretty low. Mm. Um, the, the House of Representatives looks like the Democrats have a better than even chance. Now, we can never be certain about these things. And one of the things that harms the Democrats is that they have to win at least, I would say, or around 55 percent of the vote to win a majority in the House of Representatives. So the way Democrats um, are, are spatially clustered, um, so they tend to live in big cities in a few states. Yeah. Um, disadvantages them. And then there's a bit of gerrymandering going on in some states where the boundaries have been drawn to to disproportionately benefit Republicans that makes it a little bit harder for the Democrats too. Mm. So they've actually got to win quite convincingly um, to win control of the House. So they actually won a majority in the House last election too, in 2016. Mm. Majority of votes, I should say. They did not win a majority of the seat. Mm. So the Democrats actually, in, in recent elections, have tended to do very, very well in the popular vote. Republicans actually struggle to get more than 50% of the popular vote these days in, 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 at the national level. They, they really struggle. But the way the Senate represents every state equally, two, two seats or two, two senators per state, um, and, and the way the combination of voters are spread out across the country or clustered in certain areas, and, and the way boundaries are drawn in certain states um, tends to benefit Republicans in the Senate and the House. So Democrats have to do really well to win a majority in the House. Um, in the Senate, the Democrats are somewhat disadvantaged. 
not because of, well, on top of obviously um, small rural states having the same representation as, say, California with 38 million people, mm. um, what we see with the Senate is the Democrats already have over three qu- about three quarters of the seat um, that are up for grabs this time. So only a third of senators are re-elected each, every two years. So the third that are up these times are mostly Democrats. A lot of them won states last time that Trump won in 2016. So in a normal year that wasn't very good for the Democrats, we'd actually expect the Democrats to lose a bunch of these Senate seats. Now, because things look like they might be okay for the Democrats, we might expect them to hold almost all of them. They might win, lose one or two. They might win one or so Republican-held seats. But uh, I would say at the end of the day, we'll probably end up with a pretty similar Senate makeup as we have now, which is a very slight Republican majority. <laughs> and so the m- democracy is served and we all roll on to the next event, whatever yeah, that'll well, be. Yeah, well, it means we're, we're the most likely outcome, <laughs> although obviously it's not a certainty, is, is a divided Congress with the Democrats holding the House. Maybe not by a lot, though. Might only be a slim majority. And, and the Republicans probably holding a very slim majority in the Senate. And they'll pretty much represent where America is placed at the moment, by all accounts. And well, I guess yeah, you get the I'll, parliament I'll, I'll that you... Say- I would say that the, if, if, if the legislatures were perfectly representative, we'd probably see a slightly bigger Democratic majority in both houses after this election. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still close to 50-50. It's probably like a 45, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, 55, yeah. 45 or 54-46. I do say be careful what you wish for. Well, <laughs> Sean, um, thank you very much for explaining all of that to us. We're going to watch with great interest. And uh, thanks for all you do at the U.S. Studies Centre. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Sean Radcliffe from uh, the US Study Centre at the University of Sydney. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.